Dusk signals the beginning of the end for old man gloom. Donning a long white dress, a bow tie, and a glowering expression, each year the gloomy old man gathers our worries and woes. Mourning the inevitable end, Zazobra's head turns side to side, gaping mouth opening and closing, moaning and groaning. His destiny? To burn to a pile of ash, taking our burdens with him. Burn him. Burn him. Burn him. This is where we meet sharing conversations from New Mexico and beyond. I'm Chelsea Reedy, and this show is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Taos Center for the Arts would like to recognize that it operates on the homelands of the Red Willow people of Taos Pueblo. We'd like to honor the ongoing importance of Native and Indigenous cultures within our community and within the land we live, learn, and exist on. Zazobra, roughly translated from Spanish into Old Man Gloom, burns every September before the observance of Fiestas de Santa Fe. The 50-foot-tall figure of Zazobra is a dark and eerie character, part ghost and part monster. Each summer, the marionette is carefully crafted, at once physically as a structure of wood, wire, and paper, and metaphysically by the gathering of people who contribute their gloom. Today, we hear from Ray Sandoval, the Zazobra event chairman. He tells us about the origin of the celebration, its significance, and its evolution over the past almost 100 years. Here's the conversation. First, for those who might not be familiar, let's go ahead and begin with, what is Zozobra? the actual thing, and then the event around it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Zozobra is um, New Mexico's boogeyman, if you will. It, and I'll explain why it's an it, is uh, New Mexico's original Burning Man, right? And so the idea was born from a art, an artist, Will Schuster, um, who is responsible for the art colony that Santa Fe became. And is just an amazing New Mexico tradition that really just adds to the tapestry of our amazing culture in our state. Okay, so can you describe what's it actually look like and what happens? Sure. So um, there's a little, there's two parts to that question. The first is the Zobra is a manifestation or a specter that materializes every year because of the negative energy that we as human beings put out, right? And it's all centered on gloom. And I really love this concept because Will Schuster, Zazobra's creator, never believed that human beings were inherently evil, but we do things that cause ourselves gloom and we do things that put gloom out into the ecos, right? And so as we go through the year and we let ourselves down or we let each other down, we create gloom. And so this gloom materializes until you have this 50-foot monster that's ready to come into Santa Fe and destroy, um, you know, Santa Fe um, because... You know, we're New Mexicans are not known for being gloomy. In fact, we're we're a very resilient people, um, and we like to always, uh, you know, we argue with each other, but we always think that the sun's going to rise and that there's a better day in front of us. And so, you know, um, so the Zobra is born of all of this gloom that manifests into this specter, and the Zobra comes in and tries to wreak havoc on what we're, we're able to do. And what's beautiful about the story is that just as we created Zazobra with all this gloom that we put out 
is that we actually create the zobra's opposite, which is the fire spirit, right? And so when we're selfless and when we're good and when we're kind, that too puts out energy into the world. And so as the Zobra executes his uh, plot to take over Santa Fe, um, he stops because this, this, the same thing that, that's in us that created him creates the fire spirit who appears. And then you see this David versus Goliath fight and then good triumphs over evil and is able to, to throw out the darkness with fire and burn away that gloom. So that way we can celebrate a happy fiesta here in Santa Fe. So the first public burning of Zozobra, I think, was in 1926. And this brings us, you mentioned him, William Schuster. I wonder if you can tell us about really how all this came to be, which I think is the story of him in a way. Absolutely, right. So Schuster was a, born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was drafted in World War I to go to France, and he was mustard gassed while he was there. When he returned to Philadelphia, his doctors told him that his lungs had taken so much damage that with the humidity there, he had about five to five to 10 months to live. Or he could go out to um, out west where it was drier and he maybe could squeeze another five to 10 years. And um, there's a famous uh, interview with Schuster in 1964. Um, and at that time, he was almost in his 70s. And uh, he joked at the fact that he was still trying to come out to the West to die. So, um, <laughs> you know, so it definitely worked. And um, so when he got here, he didn't have any skills. He had studied art before he got drafted. And he met up with a man named John Sloan, who was kind of a Renaissance guy. He was a painter, a sculptor, a philosopher. And he really encouraged Suster to take that art degree and really start doing painting and sculpting and thinking about these things. And Schuster found four other colleagues who became known as Los Cinco Pentores. And again, they're really the reason why Santa Fe really became the art place that it is. And the locals called them five nuts in a hut, right? Because these guys were kind of crazy. And what would happen is that one of them would sell a painting or sell a sculpture, and they would live off of those proceeds for a couple of months. Well, Christmas Eve of 1923, Schuster sells a painting and he goes to his comrades and he says, hey, you know what? We've been really, you know, we, we haven't been able to do anything. We're not eating very well. I know I just sold this painting and we usually let it spread out, but let's, let's just go have a good Christmas Eve dinner, right? Let's go drink. Let's have food. So they go to La Fonda on the plaza and Schuster writes in his diary that he's very upset because he had put like five months into this painting and here he was treating <coughs> all of his friends to this wonderful dinner and everyone was in a very bad mood. And so he takes a, uh, a sketch pad that he carried with him everywhere and he hands everyone a piece of paper and he demands that they write down what's bothering them. And then when they finish, he puts it in the center of the table, grabs the candle and lights them on fire and declares that their bad feelings are gone. Well, the bartender comes out, sees that the table's on fire and he kicks them all out on their rear ends. And so now they're in the Santa Fe Plaza, it's snowing, and they all start laughing how, how ridiculous this all is. And so, so that's the first kind of inkling of where this idea of burning gloom comes up. And then Schuster then goes down in the next April to a um, Good Friday celebration in Mexico, and he sees that they create a five-foot effigy of Judas, right? And as they parade Judas through town, people spit on it, they throw shoes. 
and they land up taking it to the plaza and burning it. And so really, it's these two ideas, this concept of gloom and this concept that everyone in the community can, can agree on somebody that they don't like, really is the marriage of Zazobra. And then Schuster took that a step further and said, listen, I don't want this to be about a religious or a political event. This is about us as human beings. And so as I started off describing that we create Zazobra by the things that we do, by the gloom that we put out into the air, Zazobra is never a person. He's not political. He's not religious. It really is a manifestation of all of our combined gloom that really creates him. And so, so Schuster goes to the Fiesta Council in Santa Fe, who had been celebrating the Santa Fe Fiestas for 300 years and says, I have this great idea. Let's burn this effigy um, in, you know, and to start off your fiesta. And they look at this guy and are like, get out of here, right? Just get out of here. We're, you know, this is, this, this is something sacred. We've been doing this for 300 years and you're going to burn an effigy. No, we're not doing any of this. So not to be detoured, Schuster goes back to his, to his friends and they talk about it. And they decide to have an anti-fiesta the weekend before. Okay. It's a protest. It's like, you didn't want us. So we're going to develop this. So they burn this over on Friday and on Saturday, they take all of their animals. We're talking, this is now, you know, mid twenties. So this is sheep and goats and so forth. And they dress them up as members of the fiesta council and they parade them through the plaza. Right. And they make fun of this. And then on Sunday to fill out their day is they have a parade and they make fun of all the historical reenactments, reading the proclamation and kind of the, the costumes. Well, pretty soon the anti-fiesta, the protest fiesta becomes more popular than the actual fiesta. And, you know, and, and here's what I love about our state, right? These guys are doing a protest and making fun of something that's been going on for 300 years. And Rather than the powers that be stomp it out, they go back to them and say, hey, we were a little hasty. Why don't the two events come together? And that way it's a bigger community celebration. And so for those folks who are not Hispanic, who are not Catholic, can still protect, can, can still participate into this. And so I call that my shotgun wedding of the Zobra and Fiestas. Nice. I'm curious. I think um, uh, Schuster died, is it 1969? Did you meet him before he died? I didn't. I was okay. born in 1974. Um, okay. I started on Zazobra when I was six years old. So this will be my 41st year on Zazobra. You know, this is a man, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to read his diaries, who in the 1920s is talking about the night sky as a black canvas and using fireworks and color and sound and music and beat to really take somebody through an emotional journey, right? This is way before Disney. This is way before Meow Wolf. This is a gentleman in 1920 writing about these kind of things. And so he was just so ahead of his time. You know, he was famous for trying, you know, absence was obviously outlawed. Um, he tried to make his own absence, almost killed a couple of his party guests, uh, you know, putting cocaine, beer, tequila, um, everything he could possibly imagine into his own mixture. Um, he wrote to the U.S. military um, to on some of the inventions that he had come up with. So, you know, he really did take John Sloan's mentoring of this Renaissance man and really tried to live out in all these different ways, become an inventor, a painter, a sculptor, a poet, and, and then really became instrumental in some of these amazing traditions that we have today. 
So in some ways, Ray, I mean, you're kind of carrying on these traditions, and I would say in a way you're leading, or you are the leader. I think your official title is chairman or chairman of, tell me. <laughs> yep, the Zobra Committee. Yeah, both an honor and a huge, huge responsibility. What is that like for you? Do you feel like there's a sense of freedom or do you kind of feel like there's a huge expectation? I mean, you've been involved for a long time. You said like <laughs> since you were six years old. So what is that like? And how's that changed over the years for you? You know, it is one of the most amazing jobs in the world, just because of the fact that you're carrying on this amazing legacy, this amazing tradition. Um, the community just loves Zazobra, but it's also a huge burden because everybody remembers what Zazobra was like, and they have these imprints of these memories going with their parents when they were younger. And then I have a responsibility to make sure that... So here's kind of something that's interesting. You know, when Schuster gave it to the Kiwanis Club, and I say this with all due respect, to Gus and Harold, who really took it over from Schuster, these guys were builders, but they weren't artists, right? And so Zazobra became very standardized and it was very, you know, there was no artistic flair to it, right? Every year he wore the black bow tie and the buttons. They did the color, you know, there was two colors of hair. It was either going to be yellow or green, you know, um, one, once in a great while, it'd be orange and everybody was excited, you know, but they really didn't feel like they had artistic license. And part of it was, to be blunt, is that when Schuster saw them build their first Zobra, he was disappointed. Um, he never shared that with them. He shared it in his diary because he really wanted the Zobra to grow and evolve in, in an artistic kind of way. And so what, I, what I've hoped to do is marry the two, which is to, to do this amazing culture, but at the same time, make it evolve. Now, I'm responsible for recruiting those young people that are going to carry it on for another 100 years, right? And I'm competing with video games and alternate reality. And you go to Meow Wolf and you look at the stuff that they're doing, and I can no longer just rerun the tape, right? I need to do things that are exciting and different and new. And so one of the things that I thought would do a really good thing for Zizobra was to come up with the Decades Project, which is as we entered these 10 years leading up to Zazobra's 100th anniversary in 2024, is that we would go back in time and make a Zazobra that represented a decade. So in 2014 was our 1920s. He had a handlebar mustache. He was bare-chested as he was in the 20s. He had legs um, like he did. He was tied up like he was, a, you know, somebody who had just been captured. You know, for the 1930s, he was bald and very, very fat. We did this grayscale, and then during the show, using lights, we colorized him like the. So that way, we had that Wizard of Oz kind of thing in the forties. Um, we dressed him up like Hitler. You know, there wasn't the little mustache, but the way that he was dressed, the fedora that he wore, um, and we had a Holocaust memorial to try to to impart some knowledge upon our kids. And so the decades project, what I wanted to do was mix in these things with the tradition, so that folks felt that it was a Zobra, but they were going to give me a little bit of freedom to do something new, right? And so as we've marched down that road, I've, I've definitely had a lot of people who have said, my God, I love this. Last year was the 80s. The Zobra was in a, you know, in a thriller jacket. You know, the Ghostbusters came out. The Gloomies were zombies. And people loved it. But I have these other people who are just like, you've ruined the tradition. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. You know, and I do, I take that very seriously. I'm not like, well, they criticized me. I should throw that away. So I, I take that very seriously, but I really do feel like I have an immense responsibility to get to mark off those check marks. You know, last year during the 80s, 
that was the Zobra. The Gloomies still came out. They're zombies, but they were Gloomies. The Torchbearers came out. They were Ghostbusters, but they were, and the Fire Dancer came out. And so all of those things that are in the ritual of sure. burning the Zobra were still there. So, but it is, it's a tough balance. And, you know, you don't ever want to be criticized. Um, but, but at the same time, I take that as a badge of honor because people feel so um, connected and they love this over so much that it does mean something to them. And they'll reach out and tell me when they think I'm not doing it the way I should. Can you talk a little bit more about the construction process? And then I guess before that, the design process, does that start pretty much like a year in advance or is it more like a couple months out or how does all that come together? And I know those are probably two parts of it, the design and then the actual construction. Yeah, absolutely. So as soon as the Zobra falls down to the ground, we actually go and look at the carcass. So this is kind of a funny tradition that we have. So when the Zobra falls to the ground, we actually go and roast marshmallows on his flaming carcass. Because we feel that that is the ultimate insult to this falling boogeyman is to roast marshmallows on his carcass. Okay, so after the flames are put out, we actually then go and do an autopsy, right? We look to see what worked, if the hinges worked, if there was any structural damages, if there was something that gave through. And we really do. We look at how deep the wood burnt in on some of the more critical parts. And so we do kind of that autopsy. The construction doesn't really start until July. And we are very, very fortunate because although we have scaled the Zobra up, the first Zobra was six feet. The um, Schuster's Zobras were around 38 feet. Ours are 50 feet, six inches. And uh, that's how tall the pole could go. If I could go higher, I would. So what's so amazing is that to figure out how to build the shape of a human face out of box, uh, literally boxes and trapezoids is something that Schuster figured out. And we use his exact blueprints to this day. So they're bigger. And we've, you know, we've gone up from one by twos to two by fours to make sure that we have the strength. We've added metal strapping and bracing to make sure that it can handle the weight. The Zobra weighs almost two tons. He's very, very heavy. If there's a rain shower, all that paper and cloth is going to absorb that moisture and he becomes even heavier. So we have to really make sure that he's not going to fall on, a, uh, on one of the gloomies as they go in front of him or the dancer. So we take that portion very, very seriously. In terms of design, what I try to do is really look to see exact... And the Decades theme has given me a lot of great ideas, right? Because it gives me some freedom to do that. So I want something that everyone recognizes at the Zobra, but they know that that's the 2021 Zobra. I have this young man, he's about 13 years old, and I can tell you, I can show you him a picture of a 50s Zobra, and he'll tell me that's 54. I'll sh- and I mean, within seconds, I show him a picture of the 80s, and he'll say that's 83, and the arm fell off, or you know, this happened, or it rained that year. And that's exactly, it has to be the Zobra, but it has to be that year's incarnation of the Zobra. And that's a balance as well, right? Because you want to make sure that people recognize it as truly the Zobra, but you also want something new because you don't want to give everybody a carbon copy of what's been done. Sure. Yeah, sure. How did you gain access or how did you get a hold of Schuster's Diaries? So this is actually a funny story. So I was a six-year-old kid and I went to kindergarten and the teacher explained that we could have people to come for show and tell. So that day, very first day of kindergarten, I go home. And when you went to the Zobra, you used to get these postcards that they would hand you. And so I flipped over the postcard and it said Kiwanis, which I'm glad it did because I didn't know how to say it, much less spell it. So I went to the phone book and there was a Kiwanis number. So I dialed the phone number and I said, hi, my name's Ray Sandoval. Can you come do show and tell? And it dialed to the secretary of the club who 
would go on these, um, would take a slide projector and would go with Harold Gans, who constructed the face and was the voice of the zebra, and they would show up. So I invite them to my school. So they show up the next day and I get in trouble from my teacher because I didn't schedule this with her. You know, as a six-year-old, I didn't understand the logistics of all this, but they finished their presentation and I go up and ask if there's anything I could do. And they said, well, you know, not really, you're too young, but we're stuffing Zazobra this evening and we usually have teenagers come. We think it'd be okay as long as your parents came with you if you came. And so they wrote down the address. And so I went and I started stuffing Zazobra. And so I was able to, to, to wheedle an invitation every year. And then what happened was about, by the time I got to about 12, what I would see is that Harold Gans would go work on the face. He would use a tool and he would, he would put a, a staple in or he would put in one of the, the cloth and then he'd walk away and he'd, put, he'd lay down the tool and then he'd go talk to somebody. And Harold was the greatest storyteller. So he would tell you a story. And then he didn't know where the tool was. So I started following him. He'd put down the tool and I'd grab the tool and then he'd start wandering around looking for it. And so I'd hand it to him. And man, the first time he grabbed it out of my head and he was like, how dare you touch my tools, right? And then, um, and then I remember a little bit later, he went and he dropped down the tool. I didn't touch it. He went to go talk to somebody. And then he turns around and looks at me and he goes, well, where is it? Right? And so I, go, I went and I got the tool and, and every so often he'd say, well, why, why don't you put a staple here? Or why don't you hold the, this here? And slowly but surely... I, he taught me how to build the face and it really allowed me to get into this. And I, I have to say, I feel bad for some of my compadres because this was like the United States Senate where everybody had seniority. But because of this, I jumped over a lot of people. So I don't think I made them very happy. But how did you actually come to read his diaries? Oh, so I'm sorry. So what happened was I didn't have enough to do with the face. So I wanted to be able to get into the fireworks. And there was a man named John Conran, who was a longtime architect and a historical preservationist. Very, very amazing man. And he had done fireworks all the way. And he knew Schuster, Schuster, and he lit the Zobra on fire. And he did all of these things. And so he and I developed a friendship. And he would have a after the Zobra dinner, the Saturday after the Zobra, and he invites some people from the crew. And so by this time, I was 18, 19. So I would go and have dinner with them. And he lived in Schuster's old homestead out by the Santa Fe Opera. Wow. And so he would show me there were doors that were carved by Schuster. And I, I was just, you know, Schuster was like the creator. And then he said to me, look, these are the diaries from Schuster. I've never let anybody look at these. Would you like to, you know, you can come, you have to, you have to come here. You got to read them, um, but I'll let you read them. And so I was able to read those diaries and just what an amazing just an amazing opportunity to get into someone who was so brilliant, so smart, so funny. And, and he loved, and Schuster loved practical jokes. One of the things he would write in his diaries on how many times he would trick the same people and get them in different ways. And it was never every malicious or mean, right? Um, but he was, he was definitely, and then we found this photograph of him laying on the floor naked with a, with a sheepskin over his, his behind, right? Um, and his eyes are up and he has this big goofy smile on it. And it just encapsulated everything that I thought of who he was. Thank you to Ray Sandoval. The burning of Zazobra will take place this year on September 2nd. And thank you to Matthew Blood Smith for the introduction to this episode. 
Where We Meet comes from Taos Center for the Arts in Taos, New Mexico, and is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Producers include Colette LaBeouf, Chelsea Reedy, Alice Morion, Ariana Cubillos-Fogler, and Joshua Aragon. Research and writing by Jacqueline Paul. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. On Where We Meet, we share conversations from New Mexico and beyond. Thanks for listening. Be well. Thank you.